Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It is time for Counterpoint. Let's bring in the team, shall we? We've got Dennis Matthews, political pundit. Is that what we call you now? <laughs> VP of Communications over at Enterprise Canada, not to be confused with the car rental company. Uh-huh. And Katie Healis, who's new to the table, liberal advisor to uh, several cabinet ministers in the past, also with Enterprise Canada. So we've got a good duel off within the company. Um, let's start, of course, big day in economic news for the province of Ontario. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll start with this one. No income tax if you make $30,000 less. So no raise in minimum wage, which a lot of people were angered about. However, you get a big old break on your provincial tax. I'll start with you on this, Dennis. Does this help the poor better than the increase in the minimum wage? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is, from my, as I understand it, this is the biggest uh, tax cut for low and, and sort of you know, lower income Ontarians in a generation. And it's almost a million people who are going to benefit, uh, who are going to benefit from this. And, you know, it's the exact type of policy that sort of encourages people to work and, and get an income, but gets them a, a break for, for doing so. So I think it's sort of a directionally a very good policy signal. And it's also, a, a, you know, just the right thing to do. People in Ontario have been struggling to get by. This isn't about helping the rich. This is about helping the people who are sort of at the lower end of the scale climb their way up. And I think it's very good news. Well, they did give a little bit of help to the rich because they also repealed a very unpopular tax hike uh, that the Liberals had implemented uh, that was supposed to kick in. Now, I, I'm not rich, but I also don't think that the rich should be uh, vilified quite the way they are, so I don't have a problem with that. But where are you on this, uh, Katie? I mean, do you have a fundamental problem with a tax break for for minimum uh, for low income, or would you prefer the minimum wage? I don't have a fundamental problem with it. I actually support providing support to these people who are the, some of the most vulnerable people in our society. But I think we need to look at the context under which this is happening. You've brought it up. They're canceling the minimum wage increase. They've canceled the basic, basic income pilot. They're repealing regulations put in place by Bill 148 that actually protect workers. And we're also seeing today now that they're repealing rent control measures. So I think we need to look at the broader picture in Ontario. We need to look at the broader economic picture. We have to look and continue to watch throughout the long term how this is actually truly going to impact those who are in this lower income quartile. Okay, so let's pick up then on the rent controls, because this got a lot of blowback. This is Andrea Horvath um, commenting on it. Uh, And and as far as rent controls, this means anything uh, built after tomorrow will not be covered by rent control. But if you've got a unit that's older and uh, was built before tomorrow, you will be protected. Here's Andrea Horvath. Mr. Ford is removing rent controls for new units in the middle of a housing crisis. So... As far as rent controls, I mean, are you of the mind that, that those who are in the building should not make any money at all? Because at some point, like, what, there's got to be something in it for them. No, absolutely. But I don't seem to think that they're the losers in this situation. And this really makes me think that this government is out of touch. I'm a 20-something living in Toronto. This is one of the biggest challenges yeah. that myself and many of my peers are facing. Think about this new generation, this 20-year-olds, you get a new job in Toronto. They're not going to have an option to move into the city to work. It's already so expensive. They're already being priced out. Rent control was one of the few measures that left protections for us. If that is repealed, you're not really leaving any room for people to come to come into the city to get jobs here, it also puts people at risk who want to move within the city. Dennis? You know, there's no policy like rent control that sounds so good, but actually leads to such bad outcomes. When you control rents in cities, you lead to landlords who aren't actually doing proper repairs on the on the units and they fall into disrepair, and you lead to a housing supply that doesn't meet uh, actual demand. 
And, you know, I, I moved back to Toronto about a year and a half ago. And I got to tell you, Alex, finding a place in the city, it was almost impossible, impossible. regardless of what my, my budget was. And, you know, it's, it's really frustrating when you have, uh, you know, like I take Andrea Horvath on this. It, it's sort of sloganeering and talking about these policies like they'll actually work. And this is one of the few policies I think where sort of economists across the spectrum are, are united on. They just don't work. They sound really great, but these policies actually, you know, stymie uh, growth and accessibility of, of housing, and they stop landlords from sort of treating the properties properly. Okay, but how does this then, you know, if building houses is what they want to get done, they'll be too expensive to live in. Are you suggesting, though, that it opened it opens up to more spaces in the older units because people will move out of those and into the newer ones, even though they're more expensive? But look, we have, a, we have a major inventory problem in the city, and 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 add on to that, it's impossible to get around. You know, wherever you live in the city, it's, it's you know, it, I, I'm seven kilometers away from the office, and it's sort of an hour-long commute to get in. And it's not sort of about one thing that's going to solve this. It's a, it's a collection of things. But what I will note is sort of you take a city like Toronto or San Francisco or New York, these sort of left-leaning cities, have become the, the sort of the places of the highest income inequality and the and the the biggest problems for affordability. So you know I think it, it it's a mix of solutions. But you know getting more stuff built and getting transit and roads built to allow commuters to come in is is the answer. Last point. I think this is an oversimplification of the issue. We're not just facing a housing crisis in Toronto and across Ontario. We're facing a housing affordability crisis. These rent control measures are necessary for people to have some continuity and a surety of their life that their rent is going to go up so much if they move or change houses that they can no longer afford a house. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I I, I get it on both sides, but uh, the bottom line is they ran on it. We knew this was coming. Um, and... Sorry, but your guys made it impossible. The affordability is on, on your side uh, from the last 15 years. So uh, let's move on a little bit because I want to talk about the story that has really dominated the headlines today. Because if you're a parent, I mean, never mind if you're just a human being, this thing has created such a visceral reaction. What do you think should happen to the administration of the school, um, St. Michael's, that uh, essentially sat on an issue for about a week and even told parents, after the fact that they had informed the police, but they didn't. And so if essentially, um, Katie, we had videos being shared around for days. We had parents living, you know, living in the dark, kids not knowing what was going on for days. Should heads roll? Absolutely. I frankly can't imagine the situation being handled any worse than it was. The school is coming out and saying that they prioritize the safety of children. That is clearly not true from the actions they've taken. These parents had a right to know what was going on in schools and they, this school failed not only to protect the students but to inform the parents. I fundamentally believe that if the school had done what they needed to do and intervened earlier, we maybe wouldn't be in the situation we're in right now where there's a video surfacing around on social media and online that exposes a young child. Yeah, I mean, it seems unbelievable to me, Dennis, after Retea Parsons. You know, with the education that we get, this is not about sex ed to me. You don't need a sex ed uh, curriculum to know when wrong has been done. And if it weren't for Global News calling the school and alerting that the media was looking into this, I'm afraid that this thing looks like it would have been swept under the rug. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, there's two really big issues here. You know, well, first, I think there's about 20 well, that, massive issues here. But 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 we'll focus on that. More, but no, we'll, we'll focus on the on. Yeah. You know, I see as two. There's there's sort of the kids and what they what they've done here, which is absolutely or terrible accused and doing, are accused yeah. of doing. And there's video, and there needs to be consequences for that. But there's there's sort of a whole second, almost equally troubling situation, to be honest, with yep. the principal and the administration and how the school handled this. 
And, you know, it, you just have to, you, you want to believe as a parent that the principals and the teachers and the administrators in a school have the best interest of the children at, at heart. And there's sort of no way to look at this and think, yeah, they did have the best interest of the kids at heart. They seem to have sort of brand reputation issues at heart or worrying about the the reputation of the school. And that, in a case like this, really has nothing to do with anything. I mean, you're, you're under an obligation, especially, I might add, a religious Christian school mm-hmm. under an obligation to do the right thing. And, you know, by every measure, they've, they've failed on this one. Right. And, and some people look at it, Katie, and say, okay, well, it's a private school. They do have to protect the brand. And I look at it and go, well, they've done 20 times the damage to the brand because in trying to protect the brand, they have ultimately, I think, done even more damage all the way around, including to the children uh, who are involved in this. Absolutely. And I mean, we can understand where they were coming from as administrators. They were trying to protect the brand, but the priority always needs to be, whether it's a private school, public school, no matter what it is, the priority is protecting the interests of the students. There was a clear failure to do that, and the administrators need to be held responsible for that. Yeah, this story's got lots of legs, and it will be uh, sticking around for a while, so we'll see, because I know the parents are uh, supposed to be meeting with school officials tomorrow. I would love to be a fly on that wall. Yeah, those parents pay a lot of money to have their kids go here, too. Well, I think for the $20,000, i would expect at least a phone call. Hey, no name-calling here. Just differing opinions going head-to-head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It is 8.33. We got Katie Healis joining us and Dennis Matthews. Let's talk about Patrick Brown, shall we? Because I don't think he's getting the uh, reviews he may have wanted. His book uh, was supposed to really be a comeback story, but he's just elected mayor. And I'll start with you on this, Katie, because I think any amount of sympathy that people had for him, is that now gone Well, I don't think I was ever one of those people that had a lot of sympathy (laughs) for Patrick Brown, but if it was there, it's certainly gone now. I don't know what he expected to happen when he released this book and this tell-all, but it's certainly flopped on him. This is a bold move coming from a new mayor of the city of Brampton. We know that this new government is not afraid to wade into new territories and municipal governments. So for Patrick Brown, the new mayor of Brampton... I don't think this was a very smart move. I mean, he may have had a contractual obligation with the publisher, but I just don't know how he could have thought that this would go over well. I mean, do you, Dennis, think that this creates a problem? I don't think Doug Ford's going to go out of his way to punish the people of Brampton, but certainly you have to have a good working relationship with the province, no? Yeah, I I don't imagine a scenario where this gets taken out on the people of Brampton, but just a a terrible, uh, you know, absolutely terrible rollout uh, of this book by, uh, by Patrick Brown. And, you know, I just can't help but think as a, as a conservative and, you know, somebody who was essentially prepared to vote for Project Brown going back uh, a year from now, if I can even admit that, you know, this is this is a guy who would have led the PC party to their fifth straight election defeat. Like, there's no, there's just no doubt in my mind. I mean, what a, uh, the, the PC party and, and their members dodged a real bullet by by him being uh, being forced out. But this this is just, you know, such a dishonorable way to sort of conduct yourself afterwards. Like, I I don't know that he was treated perfectly fairly through the entire process, but to come out and with a book totally like fair. this. And that's fair. Yeah. But to come up with a book like this with these kind of, you know, smears and allegations with no real evidence, like, go away. Let's talk about this. This this befuddles me. I'm saying the polite word. But this is not the first time we've heard about it. Certainly not the second time we've heard about it. Certainly not even the third time we've heard about it in the last couple of years. But uh, businesses in and residents in Quebec in, I guess, uh, where is it, Longueuil? I'm going to say it wrong, um, are being, you know, advised to watch their water consumption until next Thursday. You know, just because 160 million liters of raw sewage human crap are going to be once again dumped into the St. Lawrence River. And Dennis, I don't understand how a government so concerned about Mother Nature can, I mean, this is human crap 
that is being dumped into the St. Lawrence. And this is just one little dumping that's happened. Yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, it's disgusting to, yeah. to call it what it is. But you know, the city of Victoria does this with their with their sewage as well. And and what I find so perplexing is like these are these are cities and, and areas where there's lots of politicians who sort of spend endless amount of time talking about climate change and carbon credits. We need to save the planet Earth. And, you know, here they are dumping, you know, thousands or millions or whatever of tons of raw sewage into waterways that are used for drinking water and, and other activities, fishing. And, and there's all sorts of wildlife there. And, and it's just what like it, it makes no sense to me that there's no outrage over this. Like, where, where is the outrage? How many carbon credits do you have to buy to make up for this much sewage being dumped in? I don't think, I mean, that would be priceless. But, you know, we just had a report in Toronto recently that didn't get a lot of coverage, but the 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 human waste being dumped into our own, own waterways was criticized by the, the oversight here, and that created a stink. But I don't understand, Katie, how this is cool and how more people are not perplexed by this. I don't understand it either. I can't even imagine the reaction if we were dumping this many tons of raw sewage into Lake Ontario well, right here precisely. in Toronto. There would be massive reaction. It's quite frankly hard to explain why there isn't a big stink being raised about this. I think any time a government has to come out and say there will be very, very, very little impact and they even have to qualify what the impact is going to be on the water in the long term, there's a problem there. And I think that's something that the people of Quebec should be worried about. Yeah. Okay. I think it's Longay. Why do I... That's the one... Yeah, I should have known that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Monica Lewinsky, shall we? She has broken her silence in a new documentary series that looks into her relationship with Bill Clinton. And she talks a lot about, you know, the hell that she went through. There's about 20 hours of tape. She, her mother, her father uh, will be talking. So this kind of looks back to that time. Um, And and we learn that, you know, she thought about killing herself. Um, Here's why she says she, she talked. Take a listen. I don't talk about this very often, and I still feel uncomfortable talking about it because I think it's one of those things where it's not as if it didn't register with me that he was the president. Obviously it did. But I think in one way, the moment we were actually in the back office for the first time, the truth is is that I I think it meant more to me that someone who other people desired desired me. However wrong it was, however um, misguided, for who I was in that very moment at 22 years old, that was how it felt. Yeah, she thought Bill Clinton actually had feelings for her. And in an earlier interview this spring, Katie, Bill Clinton said he does not owe her an apology. But in her interview, she says he should want to apologize. Should he? I mean, we're in the Me Too movement. He's the only guy. (laughs) He's the only guy that seems to get away with any of this stuff. No, I have to agree. I do think he should want to, and I think he should. I mean, if for if no other reason than to acknowledge his actions and to show maybe a more favorable example of how people who are in these situations should respond. There was clearly a power imbalance in that relationships and clearly wrongdoing, and he should be a part of the positive movement forward to acknowledge that and to find whatever retribution would be fitting in this case and work towards that positive outcome I mean, I look back to those days uh, of watching the Kenneth Starr investigation Mm -hmm. um, and I look and I think to myself what I mean, knowing now what we know about um, social media and what people go through now, I think what she went through during that time, she got very little sympathy at all. Um, And to hear her now say that she had wanted to kill herself at that time and what she had gone through. And really, he's never paid the well, he's never really paid a price because he's coming to Toronto and people will pay hundreds of dollars to go see him.
No, he's never really paid a price. And, and Monica Lewinsky went through absolute hell and, and how she was treated by, you know, everybody, laughing everybody at the time. And in particular, how she was treated by the Clintons, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a team. And, you know, what really uh, frustrates me about this, when you look through the, the Me Too lens we're in today, and it's all about power imbalances and is where this, it really becomes uh, a situation. And, you know, this is a young intern, 21, 22 years old, and up against the president of the United States who has nuclear codes, the most powerful yep. man on, on planet Earth. You know, a huge discrepancy here. And, and he how more, he treated... He was more worried about his rocket than, yeah. uh, than those rockets. <laughs> no <right>? comment. <laughs> uh, no, but, and, and, you know, and here we are. And I thought you're, you're so right that, you know, he's coming to Toronto here, and there are all kinds of fancy people who... You know, sort of big champions of the Me Too movement and and you know women's rights and all this kind of stuff, and they're going to pay hundreds or thousands of dollars to hear the Clinton speak on on stage and applaud them. And you know, it's absolutely disgusting if you're you know if you're a true uh, believer in the in the Me Too movement and the power yeah. of it. You know, to go and applaud the Clintons, give me a break. That that strikes me as well. I mean, Katie, do you th- do you think people should go to that? He's they're going to be here in, when a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. whatever. They're touring. They make millions of dollars in the talking tour, and to me, it's so hypocritical. Yeah, on this, I have to agree with Dennis, which is almost shocking. But I think that if you're going to support the Me Too movement and stand behind it, you can't pick and choose who you're going to support. Do you think he'll ever go down? Uh, Maybe that's not the right way to ask that question. But do you think he'll ever pay a price? Like, do you think he will finally people will reject him? Or do you think Clinton will always kind of be just the guy that everyone like the old uncle who you're embarrassed of, but you just kind of accept it? It's hard to say. I want to say that maybe he'll do the right thing and change the conversation on this and be a positive addition to this conversation, but quite frankly, I'm not, no, then not encouraged it's going to happen. No, he's going to keep cash in the checks <laughs> as long as he can. Well, hey, Hillary's going to run in 2020, <laughs> which guarantees another four years Here's of hoping. Trump. <laughs> there you go, eh? All right, guys, thank you so much. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.